about three years or four years ago, there was a running back for the Baltimore Ravens named Ray Rice. His football career came to a screeching halt because there was videotape of him striking his fiancée at the time in an elevator while both of them were leaving a place absolutely inebriated. And a beautiful young lady, her mother, well, looked like they came from a good family, very articulate. I remember hearing an interview, and she said, that's not Ray. (laughs) That's not Ray. And, um, but the NFL, who is all, all about image, pretty much sacked his career. You know, not once did they ever talk about the problem of drinking. (laughs) I guess maybe because the beer commercials and the beer companies sponsoring the NFL, they just could not go there. But in reality, that wasn't him. Because alcohol makes people into somebody that they're not. That's why they call it under the influence. <laughs> you know, and I've never thought about, you know, the, you know, these people got counseling, they got married, but uh, nobody would touch him after that. He was, you know, and I understand that maybe they're having a good marriage and, you know, one, one thing can define you, but I, I really believe after listening to both of them talk that that was not normal. She would not stay with someone. Her mother was a very, looked like a very well-educated, uh, well-dressed, articulate lady, and uh, they just wouldn't tolerate that. So both of them was very drunk. Um, so, you know, who, it, who, who really was Ray Rice? There's people that could say, well, I know him this way, and people say, I know him that way. But I want to talk to you about who you are. Who are you? Now, maybe if somebody asks us that, the first thing we're going to tell them is our name. And then maybe the next thing we tell them is... Huh? Ranking serial number? Uh, Brenda accused me when I'm sitting in a stadium or somebody and, and I'm just a total stranger next to me. She says, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you end up asking them what their social security number is. I said, I'm just curious, you know, <laughs> where are you from? What, you, what do you do for a living? And uh, she says, I don't think people like you asking that. So, well, they'll tell me if they don't want me asking. I'm just curious. But we, we give them our name. We give them maybe what we do. That's kind of like, that's a lot of our definition, right? But does your vocation really define you? It defines how you earn a living. But it may not really define you as to who you are personally. Um, date of birth, that's always one of the things they want to know when you call the doctor's office, right? Address, social security number, education, vocation, family, history, you know. You know, I, I, I skipped over a couple of things Sunday in John chapter 8 because one of the times they asked Jesus, who are you? And later on in the chapter it says, who do you think you are? 
Now, how do you mean you know that those are two different questions? <laughs> but they really, the first one was like, who, they really, who, what, who are you? You have this angle on things. Who are you? And then after he really hammers them a little bit, they say, who do you think you are? So I guess they dispensed with wondering who he was. They just didn't like him talking to them like that so transparently. Uh, Peter writes about identity in his first epistle, and we're going to go to Romans 8 here. I might tread on a little bit of your stuff, but I promise it's not much. But uh, I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2 because Peter says something about identity here um, that I want you to get. This is in verse, verse 6. For in Scripture it says, 1 Peter 2, 6, See, I lay, in, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He said that stone, whoever trusts in that stone, that person, that person will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. It's an interesting phrase. It's almost like, okay, were they destined to uh, stumble are destined to disobey the message. It seems like they had the opportunity to obey the message. But if you don't obey the message, you're destined to stumble, which fits everything else about God's not willing that any should perish. All right, now watch this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What are those? Those are four identities. Those are four distinctive qualities that he's writing to them. That you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. This is who you are. All these are about who they are. A holy nation, God's special possession. Four different identities that he's speaking to these people. This gets so interesting in just a moment, so stick with me here if you're in 1 Peter 2. That you may declare, unlike people who are stumbling who didn't obey the message, but you obeyed and this sets you apart in a different identity. He said that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And that is kind of descriptive of their identity. But listen to this. Once you were not a people... Okay, once you were not a people. Now, think about that. It's almost as like he is saying, it doesn't matter what your name was, you did not have an identity with me. You were as though you did not exist because you disobeyed the the message. At one time, you were on that side. 
says, one time you were there, but listen to what he says. But now you are the people of God. This is an identification. You are now the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Interesting, interesting way he classifies how they became that identity. The people of God, a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. It's because how they responded to the message, they became that identity. And it says, because you receive mercy. This is, this is why you are the people you are. You receive the mercy. In other words, they were at one time not a people. Once they had no real identity before God, but now they're the people of God. That is their real identity now. And that was confirmed that they had received the reception of mercy. Uh, and never underestimate this word, receive. It's a powerful word in Scripture. Lambano. It's a powerful word. You'll see just in a moment. We'll just make a couple of references. But never underestimate the fact. Believing is believing receiving. Well, it's kind of interesting what John 1.12 says. That Jesus came to his own in his own did not receive him. And, and I guess the, the equivalent of that is they rejected him. Right? But as many as received him, to them gave he the power or authority become the sons or children of God, which is an identification, right? But as many as received Jesus, to them he had the right to give them this identity, children of God, even to those who believed on his name. So it's kind of like believing is like putting your hand on the doorknob of this redemptive experience and receiving is opening it. Remember, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock and if you open it, He's really kind of saying, I'm not going to barge into your life. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to knock. I'm going to knock at your heart. I'm not going to barge into your life. I'm going to wait for you to hear. And believing is putting your hand on that doorknob and receiving is really somewhat of a confession of Jesus. That's why in Romans 10, he puts those two dynamics together that with the heart man believes under Righteousness and with confession made is, or with the mouth confession is made into salvation. So it's it's those both dynamics, believing and receiving. And so it's really important to understand they received mercy. It's not taking. Receiving is not taking. Someone gives and you receive. It's not taking. There's a different word. So receiving mercy is that evidence. A transformation. People who have received the mercy of God is evidence of their transformation. And you may say, well, wait a minute. It's, it's the evidence of how they live. That's the evidence of them really becoming his. Well, let me ask you this. Anyone who's really received the mercy of God, how do you think they live? And how do we think that that living starts? Doesn't it have to start with an encounter with the Lord? 
to where you receive his mercy and the transformation of your life is just like it's a natural progression to live that way. If you know you receive the mercy of God, it affects how you see life. And it affects how you live that new perspective on life. People who are religious, they check off Sunday morning, and between the Sundays, nothing matters to them. They may never crack the Bible. They may never have any idea of witnessing or sharing the gospel or any of those things. But come Sunday, they're there. That's a good indication They've only put their hand on the doorknob. They really have not connected with the Lord. Because if you've received the mercy of God, if you've really realized you've received the mercy of God, you live a different life. <clears throat> now we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. And I know you guys are going through that book, and I promise not to do too much to chapter 8. But I'm going I'm to... Just analyze some verses that speak directly to identity. You know, I'm one of six kids, and two of us look just like our mother. And the other four have pretty much a, a resemblance of my dad. And the difference is... Because it's the nose. It's the nose. Pointed nose is mother. The blob nose is daddy. And the other four have blob noses. Brent and I have pointed noses, so we took after mother. But no matter what we say, we got big noses. So there's no doubt where we, we have this resemblance. Well, we just sung a song about good, good father. And it's who we are so shouldn't there be a little bit of resemblance of God the Father in us more so than the DNA of who we belong to in Romans 8 there's some great stuff on identity so before we get to Romans 8 let me just mention something over in Romans 5 if you go through the whole book of Romans There's only two places that the Holy Spirit is referenced in the whole book. Now, you have all kinds of justification, all, all these different terms. But there's only two chapters where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And the first time is in Romans 5, beginning with verse 3, because you can't read where he's mentioned without going from verse 3. And it does have a connection to Romans 8. Romans 5, 3 reads like this. Let, let me just pause here. I ask our, in our staff Tuesday morning, you know, what, what are you reading? What's impacting your life? And I, and I shared with them that when I interview a youth pastor, prospective youth pastor, one of the questions I get to is, what are you reading right now, and how is it influencing your life? And I find out if they're really self-motivated to read. Well, whether or not you're a book reader or not, you need to be in this book. And you need to be a learner in this book. 
constantly learning. I'm kind of doing a little bit of fast. Brenda's in Augusta, and I'm fasting TV. And it's not, I shouldn't even say that, because it's really a good thing. I'm, I'm, uh, it doesn't, I could, I could tear that TV, that flat screen TV, and put it in my driveway and back over it several times and feel pretty good about myself. But I'd be in trouble with people. So, because it's just so depressing sometimes to watch television. This is, you know, I, I can do something else by being intentionally depressed. Okay. Anyway, here's Romans 5.3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Everybody said, praise the Lord, I really like that. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, per- perseverance, character, and character hope. And here's where the mention of the Holy Spirit. Only place outside of <clears throat> chapter 8 the Holy Spirit is mentioned. But it's so powerful. And hope does not put us to shame. Didn't it say in First Peter that whoever is on the rock, on the stone, will never be put to shame? And here's that word again. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The good, good Father that we sung about has poured out into our hearts his love through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and someone who's been given to us needs to be received and welcomed. Now, this is, this is the only mention of the Holy Spirit, but you get over in, into chapter 8 and you just have to keep a, a highlighter ready because he's all, the Holy Spirit is all through this chapter. Let me take you to verse 15. And these are all about, or verse 14, these are all about our identification as, as examined in this wonderful, wonderful chapter. If I had to pick one chapter in all the Bible that is strategically important, I think it'd be chapter 8 of Romans. Because it's so fundamental about who we are we have to be reminded about who we are and what comes with that, what privileges, what, what we have access to because of our identity with the Lord. So here it is, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Is that a statement of identity? But what's the identity connected to? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. And this word led is is very specific. It means to take a leash of an animal and be connected and lead that way. It doesn't mean somebody's walking in front of you and you watch where they're walking and they're leading you. That's not this word. That's not this word. There's another word for that. This, This is talking about the Holy Spirit taking you intentionally and personally, and say, come with me. Come with me, not not to follow me. Come with me and let me show you what God wants to do in your life. If there's a question that all of us in this room should be able to answer in some degree is what does God want to do in my life? What does he want to do? There, There was lyrics up here that answers that question for me, that I be conformed to him. 
Then I take more of who he is upon myself, and, and that comes through me. But we all need to have something in our minds as to what, what does God want me to become out of the identity that I am. And there's that ID, the children of God, the offspring of God, his very own children. Not a title. You know, I remember people way back, like, I'm a king's kid. You remember people saying, I'm a king's kid. Well, that's kind of cute. And that's true. But I'm not talking about little slogans that we come up with. I'm talking about, listen, this is not a title. This is not a status that you, you know, you can say, I'm, like, I'm Charles Dunn. My, my mom and dad's Winford and Betty Lynn. And, and we have, there are six of us kids. I can, I can tell you all of that. But that's just details that really doesn't say who I am personally. It just describes my background. And when God taught, calls us that we're his children, he's not just throwing that out there flippantly. He's saying to us, this is not a title I'm giving you. We are organically connected. His presence is in your life, in your mortal body. Earlier in this chapter, it says, if the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body, not your spirit your body that you live in, which does not belong to us, it belongs to God. Two places in Scripture. One applies to every, everybody. The other applies to married people. But he says in one place that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, which is, is purchased of God, and that we are not our own. It even says that. It emphasizes that your body is not for you. Your body has never been for you. And I think this is a truth that we need, to, we need to remind ourselves that this here has not been created for me. It's been created for God. And then the other place is when he talks to husbands and wives and he says to husbands, uh, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your wife. Does it say that? And it tells the wives, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your husband. Boy, that would help a lot of marriages if people get that sorted out. Because we, what's the question? But what about me? Come on. What about my happiness? What about it? What about the purpose of God? What about what God has called you? But, you know, he is so, he's so difficult to live with. What about the purpose of God? What about that you belong to God? That is your identity. Don't let something else define you. Children of God. Now go to verse 15. All of this is so good. If you don't love Romans, we're going to give an altar call and you can get saved. Because <laughs> there's just something wrong with you. <laughs> Y'all come back next week, okay? Okay. Listen, here again, this, listen, listen, the identity issue is all through this. The spirit you receive, there's that word again, lambano. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received, word is repeated in case we missed it. The spirit you received... In the first part, it tells you what that spirit will not do. That spirit does not bring you to a slavery of fear. 
He says, what is the spirit that you received? What is really behind all of that? The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. That is the NIV and is not the best translation there. Sonship is not there. One word is translated adoption as sons. It's not two words. It's one word. So I guess the translators there in the NIV, if you, if you read it, it says the adoption of sons in other translations. If you've got a King James or a New American Standard, something like that. He said the spirit you receive, that's that lambano, that, that connects you to the spirit of God. The spirit you've received, the spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit you've received brought about your adoption to belong to God as his children. Adoption of sons come from the same word, huothesia. Huos meaning sons, thesia meaning to place or put, and God has placed you. It's, it's emphatic that God took you from being a no-identity person to be in his family. He's placed you in his family. It's only used five times in all the New Testament. Three of them is in this book. Once in Ephesians and once in Galatians. We're going to read Galatians here in just a moment. This is all about identity. God has given us his name. God has given us his name. Can you just think about that? That He adopted you and he gave you his name. He wants you to know you belong to him. You, you're in the family. You have full rights and privileges of being in the family. We'll get that, to that in just a moment. But listen to what Galatians 4, 6 says and see if it, this kind of rings a bell on something you just read. Because you are his sons, again, an identity statement, because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Only two places in the New Testament, Abba, Father, is shown as that the Spirit provokes this, um, and the word call is not good. It's more of a cry. It's, it's actually a yell. Up, almost like a scream. The Holy Spirit screams out from you, from your soul. Abba, Father, my Father. The one who has redeemed me, the one who has saved me. And he says the Holy Spirit provokes this exclamation, this declaration out of our souls. Abba, Father. What's going on here? Why why is this in here? What is Abba, Father? It's a declaration of who you belong to. It's about your identity. Abba is the word, it's the affection word that... Hebrew kids and, you know, even Arabic, I think it's Abi, my, my father, my daddy. It's this, this affectionate, endearing term of, of daddy. Now, I, I hear people say that about God, daddy, God, and I was like, ah, you know, that's the way I, I no, we're kind of like taking this and putting it into our context. The message is really good, but it's, it's really not good that verse there. Next verse in Romans is Romans 16. We've only touched on two verses in Romans 8, right? So I'm not, I'm not messing with most of the chapter, okay? 
All right. Look, look, what, look what verse 16 says. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you see identity all through this? It's kind of like, do you get it? <laughs> that you are who? Child of God. You belong to God. You're, he produced you as his ch- child. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit. I think Titus talks about that we weren't saved by our works, but we were saved by the regeneration of our souls through the power of the Holy Spirit. He actually puts himself into our lives. God is, God is in us. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is in you? Isn't that amazing? How does he do that? How does that work that he comes to? And it's kind of like C.S. Lewis. He's talking about praying. I was listening to it the other day, and, and he's talking about somebody's praying, and this is what's going on. He's praying to God because God is in him, and God is motivating him to pray to God himself. And so it kind of like God attends to that because he can't do any of that on his own. All of that is coming out of the effect of, of God the Father being in our lives and us wanting to appeal to him and cry out to him. This is, this is the NIV that I read. The Spirit himself testifies. But again, the older translations are better here. If you got one, it says, bears witness. You got one that says that? That the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is the way it reads. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And this is where it gets really fun when you start exploring Scripture because it's sumartureo, and martureo means to witness. Sum in front of it means to be witnessed together. And it's common like this. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you and with you talks to your spirit that you're the child of God. It's not the Holy Spirit alone tells you this. The Holy Spirit comes along your spirit. That's in the original. The Holy Spirit, capital S, comes along with your spirit, little s, and together your spirit and the Holy Spirit tells you who you are. That's pretty good. Now, he's telling us that all the time. What our challenge is is calming the noise around us enough to hear it. To hear the witness of God. You've heard it at times. You might not have known what that was, but you've heard him speaking to you about where you're at or where you're going or a decision you're about to make. Holy Spirit is witnessing with your spirit, talking to you. Don't do that. You belong to God. Comes alongside of you. Now let me just recap here. Verse 14, led by the Spirit. He takes your hand And you go with him. Receive the Spirit. You embrace the Holy Spirit. And in verse 16, there's joint witnesses here. You together with the Holy Spirit. Your spirit with the Holy Spirit tells you. This is all about identity and your identity in Christ. Can it get any better? No wonder one of the greatest books, classic books, that's ever been written. Handful of books. The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee is about this book. A man that spent most of his adult life in a communist prison in China. 
but he never wavered on who his identity was, and he had, he had a view of Romans few people have. Just go ahead and keep reading People Magazine. And entertainment tonight and see what Hollywood stars cheating on their spouse. And you could be in the normal Christian life book. This is all about identity. Can it get any better? What about legal rights? If we're adopted as sons, as children, what about the legal rights? Do we have any? Yeah, that's the next verse. And if you're children, guess what? You're heirs of God. And guess what? You're joined to Christ as heirs of God. You're connected to Jesus. So all of the privileges and assets of heaven is available to you. God didn't say there's going to be a footnote here and you can have access to this and this but not this. He joins us to his son and says, you have access to my table, access to me. Verse 17, and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and, and co-heirs, translation, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed, watch this, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also may share in his glory. And this goes back to Romans 5, isn't it? If we endure suffering, it works perseverance and it comes down to hope and hope is shed abroad in our heart, poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. And it really leads Paul to say that what's happened to us, listen to this, I'm, I don't want to get too much more in this chapter. Paul actually says, what's happened to you spiritually, this world craves it. This creation, this creation wants what's happened to you. That's what he says. It's right there. We know that the, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Well, let me, let me just go back up into verse 21 because this is so good that the creation itself will be liberated. The creation around us wants what we have. Listen to this. Will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the... Anybody reading that? (laughs) Children of God. The creation wants what the children of God has. And what is that? We've been released from the curse of this world. And this creation is under a curse. And even in the next verses, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Isn't that an interesting term to use when all we've been talking about is children of God, children of God, children of God? Right up to the present time. Not only we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says there's something in us that longs for this to be the finishing work of redemption. Well, the Lord takes this flawed, mortal body 
which really belongs to him. You know, every morning, every morning, let me just give you this. Okay, you ready? I mean, you want, you want me to give you something to start your morning with? Lord, this body does not belong to me. It belongs to you. So have at it. Do with me whatever you want to do. I'm yours. And, and position yourself to let the Holy Spirit take you by the hand and say, let's go. Let's go find out what God has for you today. And it might not change anything at work, but it'll change you. It'll make you more sensitive to who you really are. Who are you really? My name is Charles Lim. That's not who I really am. I know that I have a different name. I haven't, I haven't been told it yet because the Bible tells us in Revelation that we're all going to be given a new name and it's going to be the name after the Father. That's my true identity. That's who I really am. I belong to Him. And I believe if, if we really do this intentionally, I don't, I don't want to say the word intentionality because that's too many syllables. But if we do this intentionally, if we just say, Lord, my identity is, is, not, is not that I'm a pastor or, or whatever. My identity is that I belong to you. I'm your child. I'm your child.